0: I don't know about you, but for Amy and I, we've been feeling it a lot more this week than other weeks. I think it's starting to dawn on us that this quarantine is a marathon and not a sprint. I don't know if it's really come home to roost for you, but this is going to be a marathon and not a sprint. We were feeling it this week, but I think our girls were feeling it a whole lot also, I think we can kind of summarize how it sunk in with them in this conversation that Amy overheard. Those of you who know me know that I've got an eight-year-old little girl and I've got a six-year-old little girl. And we overheard them someday this week in those kinds of conversations that are like a loud whisper. Right, They're trying to kind of contain themselves, but a lot of that frustration and exasperation is kind of sneaking through. So the conversation we overheard went kind of like this. You have to understand that our oldest is content to play by herself. She's our kid that can sit quietly with a craft or go and chill with a book or play a game on her iPad, but our youngest she's more apt to play with others, specifically in this quarantine, her best friend, which happens to be her older sister. So we overhear this conversation in a loud whisper of our youngest looking at her big sister saying, listen, Emma, this coronavirus is going to be a long time I'm the only kid in your life right now. I'm good at pretending. I'm good at playing. I'm the only kid in your life right now. As the tears start to flow just a little bit, we feel it as a marathon and not a sprint. It's really beautiful and a little sad and a lot hilarious to see it through the eyes of our six-year-old. I'm all you've got right now. I don't know if you're feeling like we are, or if you're feeling like our six-year-old and our eight-year-old, but this is a marathon, not a sprint. Which is why it was so important that we started with those moments of quiet reflection on what's life-giving for you. If you named something, I want you to circle it, remember it, create space for it, and lean into it. Because this pandemic is big, But tonight, I got to remind you that the enormity of the resurrection is bigger. And while it's so much bigger and so much more expansive, in all of its bigness, it can still fit into our ordinary places, our ordinary living rooms, our breakfast tables, our bedrooms. The enormity of the resurrection is much bigger than even this pandemic. So I want to pray. I want to continue our story from last week that was in Luke chapter 24. So if you're following along at home, grab a paper Bible or swipe on your phone if you're not watching this on it and go to Luke 24. We're going to continue the story where we left off last week. But first, we're going to pray. Okay? So just take a deep breath. Because we're going to pray some breath prayers, okay? Breath prayers are statements that are easily remembered and repeated through deep breaths throughout your day. These are the kinds of prayers you can pray when you feel anxious. These are the kinds of prayers you can pray when you're washing dishes. These are prayers you can pray when you're on walks. Same statement, with your breath, repeated Often and over and over throughout the day. Now, breath prayers can be verses from scripture, especially the Psalms, those poems in the middle of the Bible. Breath prayers can be just statements that you write or that you find. Or breath prayers could even be like the Jesus prayer. Our Orthodox brothers and sisters love the Jesus prayer. It was actually taken from the Gospels and it goes like this. Lord Jesus... Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? It's a phrase that's easily remembered and can be repeated. These are breath prayers. These are prayers you can pray as you breathe deeply, kind of like a Christian mantra. And it's a prayer that you can pray on your walks, washing dishes, etc. Here's a few. For the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that you might want to write down, remember, or try on for yourself. I want to begin our time praying these breath prayers, because each step we're taking is a marathon, not a sprint. So before we get into our story and two big ideas I want to share with you, let's pray these breath prayers. Ready? Here's the first one. Abba Father, Creator and Sustainer, May I live in your love. Let's pray that again. Abba Father, creator and sustainer, may I live in your love. Try that one for yourself. Abba Father, creator and sustainer, may I live in your love. Here's a second breath prayer, this one to the son. Lord Jesus, God with us, abide in me as I abide in you. Let's pray that again. Lord Jesus, God with us, abide in me as I abide in you. One more time, try praying those words. Lord Jesus, God with us, abide in me as I abide in you. We've prayed to the Father and to the Son, and now let's pray to the Holy Spirit with this breath prayer. Holy Spirit, breath of God, renew me and all the world. Take a deep breath and let's pray that again. Holy Spirit, breath of God, renew me and all the world. Take a moment and pray that prayer. So Lord, we come to you in this time, in all of our different places, to be present to your presence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Would you heal the sick, provide for the poor, protect those loving and serving on the front lines? Would you give us what we need? Keep us in your strong care in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hopefully you can spend some time this week finding breath prayers in the scriptures. Or even using those that we just prayed together. I promise you, it's a way of praying throughout this time of a marathon. That's not a sprint. So you've got a lot of time to breathe and pray these. Now, this evening I want to give you two big ideas that are followed by two big questions. But we've got to look at the second half of the story we started last week. This is a story from Luke chapter 24, so follow along at home if you can, but I'm going to get us up to speed, okay? Luke 24, it's still Easter day, the first Easter Sunday. Last week, we saw two disappointed disciples who had heard the reports that the tomb was empty and that Jesus had been raised. They had heard all this report, but they weren't with it enough to stick around and see what happens. They hit the road and headed out. They were leaving Jerusalem that first Easter Sunday to take a seven-mile walk to a village called Emmaus. Our two disappointed disciples are walking out of the city, and they're still processing everything that they had just seen and heard. And they're doing this in a lively debate when they're joined by a stranger they did not recognize. Now, spoiler alert, we learn it's Jesus Jesus is walking with them step by step on their journey of processing and doubt and disappointment. Jesus is alongside them and he says, what are you talking about? And they say, dude, are you serious? You don't know? And they begin to tell them all their hopes, all their expectations, and share with them how they wished Jesus really could have redeemed them and their people. Then Jesus shares with them the bigger picture story of God's redemption that actually involved suffering and it actually involved the crucifixion so that he could be raised from the dead and break open a new creation that is invading all peoples in all of our ordinary places. This reality is brought to a dramatic conclusion and effect when they make their seven mile trip to Emmaus. And Jesus, this stranger who they still don't recognize, kind of says, hey, see you guys later. I'm going to go on this way. They say, no, 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 dude, you got to come in. You got to have dinner with us. We're really getting somewhere with this conversation. So Jesus becomes their guest and quickly becomes their host. He takes their bread, breaks it, thanks God, and offers it to them. And it's in that moment of Eucharist or communion that their eyes are finally opened and they recognize this stranger for who he is, the risen Christ at their dinner table. After all of their hopes and expectations suddenly take on a new shape, Jesus splits, he disappears. They're looking around as the dust settles and they're like, dude, we've got to go tell the others. Mind you, the others are still seven miles back in Jerusalem. So the guys that were just with him left seven miles, recognized Jesus, go all the way seven miles back. They run back, they see the disciples, and while they're still catching their breaths and telling them all that just happened, we pick up our story in Luke chapter 24. That's where we're at. That's where we're going to spend our time. I'm going to give you two big ideas. Followed by two big questions. You with me? You ready? Let's pick up the rest of our story. In Luke chapter 24, verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Because basically, what's going on behind the lines here, between the lines here, is Jesus just appears, right? They're sitting there telling them everything they just experienced. Boom, Jesus, is this a ghost? Wait a minute, Luke continues the story. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, pause there, isn't it remarkable how quick their fear and startledness transforms into joy and amazement? You know what hasn't yet changed? Their disbelief. Take heart. Jesus still walks with us and shows up among us even when we can't get our heads around what he's up to. Sometimes the fear and the amazement and the joy and all the feels can still crowd out the presence of Christ in our midst. But that's what we're going to talk about in a minute. Two big ideas with two questions. Let's hear the rest of the story from Luke. Now, while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. Imagine what they're thinking. (laughs) Then Jesus said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, just like those two disciples on the road. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Luke will describe what that looks like in more detail in his second book, the book of Acts. What he gives us now is a snapshot teaser to what he's going to pick up in the book of Acts chapter one. So he gives us this little snapshot after Jesus says those words. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Side note, Luke's story ends where it began, in the temple, waiting to see what God will do next. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. I've got two big ideas, followed by two big Questions. As big as this pandemic feels, I'm telling you, the resurrection is so much bigger. And yet, what we see in this story is that Jesus, in all the enormity of new creation, can actually fit in our ordinary, everyday spaces, in a living room, on a road, in our own hearts. Two big ideas followed by two big. Questions. The first big idea is something that Jesus says. Okay? Jesus shows up and it's something that he says that I want to unpack for you. What we just read was after these two disappointed disciples uh, made their way back to Jerusalem to tell the others, Jesus appears in their midst. And then Jesus gives them a greeting that's not just a greeting. Okay? You remember what he said in our story? He said, Peace be with you. It's a greeting that was very common. It'd be like if I said, hey, how are you guys doing? I hope you're well, okay? But in Jesus's case, it's a greeting that's not just a greeting. It's a greeting that's more than a greeting. Here's the first big idea. Jesus is interrupting our fear with a word of peace. Jesus is Is interrupting your fear with a word of peace. Jesus appears, they're startled and terrified, and he says, Peace be with you. It's a greeting that's more than a greeting. So the big idea here that I want you to see is that right where you are, Jesus is interrupting your fear, your worry, your anxiety with a word of peace, which begs our first big question, what voice are you listening to? Jesus is interrupting our fear with a word of peace, but what voice are we actually hearing Jason Knight, shout out Jason Knight, is our student ministry leader at the Neighborhood Church and a dear friend of mine. And we've been talking a lot during this quarantine. And he introduced a phrase that I'm just going to say he coined. The phrase is this, quarantine guilt. I googled it. I haven't seen it. I'm going to say, Jason, you made it up. Quarantine guilt. Here's what quarantine guilt is. You ready? Quarantine guilt is... I'm not blank enough. Okay? Then you feel guilty. Quarantine guilt might sound like this. I'm not parenting well enough. I'm not homeschooling well enough. I'm not working hard enough. I'm not learning a new skill enough. I'm not fixing up my house enough. I'm not Marie Kondo, organized, tidy, bringing joy, going through my house enough. Whatever it is, you feel quarantine guilt when you believe the voice inside you that sounds like, I'm not blank enough. This is why this question, what voice are you listening to, is so important during this marathon of quarantine. It's not a sprint, so the sooner we realize this, the better. I believe that we need to hear a word of peace from Jesus, who's appearing right where you sit Maybe if we still that one voice of quarantine guilt or shame or fear long enough, we can hear the voice of Jesus say something like this. You are not what you do. You are more than what you do. Your worth is not measured by how much you have. Your value is more than what you contribute. You are immeasurably valuable to the creator and sustainer, longing to be gracious to you when you cannot be gracious to yourself. The first big idea I want you to hear to inject into the voice of quarantine guilt is a word of peace interrupting our fear, our anxiety. What voice are you listening to? Would you commit this week to listen closely to the voice of the one who says, peace be with you? That's the first big idea that we see As Jesus points us to the enormity of the resurrection, invading our everyday, ordinary places. But Jesus does not only say something, he's going to show them something, which introduces our second big idea I'm going to get to in a moment. But there's three things that Jesus shows us. He shows them his scars. He shows them the scriptures, and then he shows them this promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit isn't named here, but anybody that was listening in that room knew that Jesus was talking about the very Spirit of God. So Jesus not only says a word of peace, he's going to show them his scars, scripture, and the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus does next. They thought he was a ghost. So Jesus has to say, no, 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 look, it's my own hands and feet. Touch me. And by the way, can you share some of that fish with me? What you got on that? Old Bay or Lowry's? I don't know. I'm filling in the blanks, but you get the idea. Do ghosts eat? Can ghosts be touched? What Luke wants to show us is what Jesus wanted to show his disciples. Bear with me for a moment. I'm going to tell you what Jesus wants us to know. This is not some ghost. The resurrection is not some spiritual vision. The resurrection is not some communal hallucination. The Christian hope is a hope of bodily resurrection. Does it sound crazy? A little bit. But Jesus points to a reality that's so much bigger than what we can see and taste, and experience. But he's still inviting us to look, touch, and see. Now, the Christian hope is one of bodily resurrection. So Jesus says, touch my body. I'm not a ghost. And this is really vital and important. Paul spends a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. Y'all write down 1 Corinthians 15. Spend some time in it. It'll blow your mind. Paul is trying to unpack the mystery of the risen Christ who is risen in his body. And he also says he's the first edition. He gets the first hot off the factory floor of heaven, resurrection, new creation, body. But guess what? If you're in Jesus, you're on the wait list. You're going to be raised in a body, too. This is one of the biggest misconceptions in American Christianity. We all say we're going to go to heaven when we die. And that's true to a point. Christian hope believes in life after death. I believe that when I'm put into the ground, my body is lowered into the earth and some essence, soul, spirit, whatever you want to call it, is in the presence of the living God. Because I believe that eternal life starts now and goes on into perpetuity. If God's alive and I'm in God, then I'm going to be alive in him. But my body is going to be in the ground. I believe in life after death. But the biggest misconception of American Christianity is that that's all there is. Wrong. The New Testament is explicit and clear. Christian hope is not just life after death. As N.T. Wright says, it's about life after life after death. We'll be alive in the presence of God, who is life and love himself, being in eternity. However, when Jesus comes back, To make all things new, he means it. Christian hope is holistic. Our bodies will be raised just like Jesus's, and we will be united again, spirit and body, like Jesus, to inhabit new creation. Is that a big idea or what? This is the bigness of new creation invading our space. The risen Christ showing up in the living room to show us our salvation is holistic. Not one thing we are living will be wasted. Not even our bodies. That's Christian hope. Life after life after death. That's Christian hope. Luke wants us to see it. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. The New Testament clearly teaches Jesus is the first edition. We're all on the wait list. He is here risen. Just wait. We will be too. Jesus shows them scars. He shows them that these scars of the crucifixion are not incidental or accidental. They're actually a part of the whole story that scripture is telling. That's the second thing that Jesus shows them. He shows them the scriptures, the story that we need to understand this. Jesus is the key to understanding all Scripture because all Scripture is pointing to Jesus, okay? We've said in our church a good bit that when we read the Old Testament, we see the record of God and His people interacting in human history. But what we see in the Old Testament is glimpses and shadows of God being revealed page after page after page, But it's all pointing to the great event of a great Savior coming to redeem the world back to its true home in relationship and fellowship with God. Now, I want you to imagine that we're standing in a field and we see just over the horizon the sun beginning to rise at the break of dawn. The Old Testament is the story inhabiting that field. And as the dawn begins to rise over the horizon, the light begins to flood in and bring in the shadows and glimpses of what we see and know to be true. But in Jesus, the light has dawned and he is the son of God illuminating the landscape of the whole story of scripture to where we can look now back into this field and say, that's what God looks like. That's where the story was headed. This now illuminates the whole of it. Jesus is our key to understanding all Scripture because all Scripture is pointing to Jesus, the light that is dawned. So here's what you need to know. Jesus must be the church's Old Testament Bible teacher. We can't look back at Moses as a glimpse in a good shadow and say, yeah, Jesus said this, but Moses trumps it. Jesus is what the whole thing is pointed to. Jesus must be our Old Testament teacher. The light has dawned. He has shown us God's way. He has shown us who God is. Jesus shows him his scars. He shows him the scriptures. And then he's going to point to the Spirit of God. He's going to say, wait, wait just a little bit. What I've promised that God is going to give to you will be yours because Jesus knows this. We need to be enabled to proclaim his message and we need to be enabled with his power. Now, what's the message that he tells him? Do you remember what it was in our story? He says, you need to say, Repentance and forgiveness in my name for all nations. Now, think about our world. Think about our city. Think about our families in our neighborhoods. Think about how we experience the fracture and brokenness and disappointment and hurt of the way of the world. There's a Bible word called repentance. When Jesus or these disciples say repent, what they mean is turn. Repent means to turn away from the brokenness, away from hurt, away from fracture, away from your own way, and to Jesus, to find forgiveness and a fresh start and a new way and a new life repentance and forgiveness is the message they're taught to proclaim to all people because a fresh start and a new way has broken into this world by the resurrection of the son of God and it's for all people you guys need to understand that this was a huge revolutionary idea in world religion so many ancient religions and still the ones that persist to this day are so firmly rooted in their own ethnic and regional identities. But he is showing us the fullness of a glimpse that we've seen throughout the whole story of scripture. And the whole story of scripture says, I have blessed these people to be a blessing to all people. God wants the whole world. God is inviting the whole world. And He's inviting it to a few people that have already been adopted into the family to go out and say, Turn to God, find a fresh start, find forgiveness. He's longing to wrap you up and adopt you and enable you with His own power and presence. What's fascinating is it takes these guys and their friends 10 chapters. In part 2, the book of Acts, to finally get around to the all nations. Now, in Acts chapter 2, people hear different languages, and there's some little shadows, but they don't really get it for 10 chapters. What it takes is Jesus intervening again, showing up again, the bigness of God's plan in new creation, showing up on the roof of a house, saying, hey, I told you all nations, get up and go tell all nations. This is possible because of the snapshot that Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, gives us at the end of his book, Luke and the beginning of Acts. He shows us it's possible because of the ascension. The ascension, we get the snapshot here in the passage we read, is about Jesus going into God's space to sit at the right hand because he's the ruling and reigning Lord it shows us that Jesus has this resurrection body that can work in earth and heaven. But it's also this, and I want you to hear this. Stay with me and listen to this. It teaches us that while Jesus is beyond, he's never beyond reach. They still need help. So Jesus sends them the Spirit. He's still going to show up because they know What you and I know, your life requires a power source beyond itself. Haven't you run up against your own limitations? Your own thoughts, your own bodies uh, warring against you? Your own ability just to wake up and do it all again the next day? Our lives require a power source that's beyond itself to give us the power to move and go the next step. This is what the Spirit of God is on offer to renew us, restore us, enable us to actually live what Jesus taught. Do you believe that everything that Jesus taught is actually livable? I do. I believe it's possible to forgive and to love enemies and to give generously Because when we say yes and turn to him and find ourselves swept up into new creation and new family, we are enabled with the promise and power of the Holy Spirit within us to give us strength to go and live what he's taught. Jesus is beyond, but he's never beyond reach when he sends us the very Spirit of God. Now, I want to wind down to the end. I still haven't given you my second big idea really fleshed out. I still haven't given you my second big question. We're getting there. But first I want to tell you about a show that Amy's been watching, right? She's been watching this new medical drama. And I do what husbands do that aren't watching the show. I show up and kind of ruin it. Like I show up and just catch bits and pieces when she finally gets a moment to herself. I go and I sit down and I say, hey, who's that? Hey, what's going on? wait, what does that mean? What are they doing? You know, what husbands do, ruin their wife's alone time, (laughs) especially in quarantine. So she's watching this medical show that I'm just interrupting and catching in little bits. But one of these bits was really intriguing to me. Because it's a medical show, it follows this group of surgeons. And one particular surgeon has a patient that's one of her dear friends. But this surgeon and her friend could not be further in their beliefs on faith and God. So the surgeon is imploring her friend and patient. You've got to do this surgery. The risks are too great. You have to do this. You need to do this. Trust me. I can do this. I can do this. Then her friend, her patient, calmly says, I am putting my life in God's hands. I am putting my trust in God's work. Then her friend, the surgeon, interrupts because she loves her and she's passionate. And she says, it's my hands. It's my work. I'm the one you should be trusting. Now, they cut to the next scene. If I was a script writer, I would love to have interjected one more line of dialogue. You see, it ended with the surgeon saying, it's my hands, it's my work. And then I would love to give one more line to her friend who said, I'm putting my life and my trust in God's hands and God's work. I would have loved to have responded by saying, What if you weren't the only one at work here? What if you realized there's something more going on in our everyday moments and everyday places? Yes, you're a part of the story. Yes, you're enabled and empowered. But you're not the only thing that's going on in our everyday, ordinary places. Which leads us to our final big idea and our final question. Here's the second big idea. Jesus is showing us that the power of the resurrection can invade our ordinary places. For these disciples, it was in their living room after a fish fry. But Jesus is invading and inhabiting their ordinary places and infusing it with the power that's bigger than what they previously saw. Jesus is showing us that the power and enormity of the resurrection can invade and inhabit our ordinary places. So that's the big idea. Here's the final question Are you going to keep setting the table? Jesus showed up at dinner time and he was ready to eat to show them. This really is true. God's new creation really is invading and breaking in. The question is, are we going to keep setting the table? When was the last time you had an ordinary moment that became extraordinary when you became aware of the presence of the risen Christ? I want to end teasing this idea out because for me, it's been on walks around our neighborhood. It's been on walks where I'm kind of able to let go of some of the noise and the tasks, just to listen to the wind and the birds and be reminded that life is still ongoing, and he's giving me enough for the next step. For me, it's been walks. It's also been the quiet evenings when my girls are asleep and I can pause at the foot of their beds and just thank God for another day and the miracle it is that they're healthy and whole and here for me it's been walks it's been at the feet of their beds but it's also been when i go to the refrigerator in the pantry and i thank God for daily bread aware of how many people go without See, sometimes his presence is not just peace and reassurance, but it's a prompting to go and do and bring good news of repentance and forgiveness and that there is another way possible. How are you setting the table for the risen Christ to show up in your ordinary places? That's why I brought this icon. This icon came all the way from Russia. It was originally painted... A long time ago, by a man named Rublev, and he painted this scene that's known as the Three Visitors. It's a scene in the Old Testament in which the patriarch Abraham is going about his daily life when he notices these three strange visitors that come to him, and all of a sudden, Abraham becomes their host. And it's within this moment where he sets the table and his wife Sarah makes them food that he begins to realize that these aren't just ordinary visitors. This is the very presence of the living God. These three visitors, painted by Rublev, have another seat at the table. It's a seat that you are invited to. But like Abraham, sometimes you've got to be the host. For these disciples, it was them who broiled the fish. For those two disappointed disciples, it was them who baked the bread. However, you need to set the table. I can't do it for you. We are distributed in our own homes. We need to encourage one another. But how are you setting the table? For Jesus, he opened the scriptures so that they might see the power and presence of the risen Christ. How are you opening the scriptures in this season? For Jesus, it was an awareness of his presence when they finally were able to hear a word of peace interrupting their fear. How are you setting the table with some time for quiet reflection and stillness? How are you seeking him in prayer On our website, we have in the resource pages, not only messages like the one that I'm giving, but if you scroll to the bottom, you see a few little guides to help you pray and sit and involve yourself in the story of scripture. Those are little pieces. Those are the bread and the fish, if you will. But it's up to you to engage with the living God. How are you going to set the table? Because Jesus is interrupting our fear with a word of peace. Are you listening? Jesus is showing us the enormity of resurrection, invading our ordinary places, our living rooms, our dining rooms. Are you setting the table? May you experience peace and opportunity, not quarantine guilt or shame. May you hear the voice of the one who calls you beloved and is giving you his peace. May you have eyes to see the risen Christ in the ordinary, everyday places. Go in peace.